0: Hound
1: podcast.
2: Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, I'm really excited this week. I finally got my flights booked to go to Kentucky for the five star in April. I'm not sure if it's something else that other people have found since COVID, but I've sort of been a little bit scared to look forward to things because so many things have been cancelled and not able to happen. So I'm putting my faith in Kentucky going ahead and me being able to get there and really looking forward to that trip. Our guest this week is the native pony rider specialist and recent London International winner Rebecca Penny. She tells us how she got started with her very first pony.
1: I bought him myself with my pocket money at like 15. He was called Rossway George. I've always been a bit of a wheeler dealer, you know, anything that creates an opportunity. I'll be chatting to our news team about a new
2: tool to help with eventing safety, the importance of our horse's quality of life and why equine obesity is no joke. Finally, personal trainer, Katie Bleatman, talks about the importance of
3: core strength and how you can improve yours. Having core weaknesses or a lack of core strength can really, really contribute to poor posture in the saddle, especially things like rounded shoulders and the inability to hold a really stable seat. So, as always, we've got lots to look forward to. Pull on your gloves. Let's get going.
4: Hello. Hello and welcome to this week's Horse and Hound guest interview. I'm Alex Robinson, showing editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, we're into the new year now and I'm sure if you own a show horse or pony, you're getting ready for some of those early shows before the qualifying circuit starts. So yeah, we're really looking forward to hearing and seeing your results when you're out and about at this early time in the season. So 2021 were, was an incredible year and it was so good to be back out at the championships and the final event of the season was the the British Show Pony Society's Lemieux Supreme Heritage Mountain and Ridden Championship held at London International. Our native ponies were out in full force and it was such an interesting class to watch with the, with the mark system and the four judges and the amazing venue at London. And the 2021 winner was actually a horse and hound columnist, Rebecca Penny, who was riding Lynn Scott's Wealth Section C stallion, Lineup the Showman, who's known as Peanut. And we're very grateful that Becky's actually here today to, to speak to us. So hi, Becky, how are you? Are you still on cloud nine after your win?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was um, a super event to win. And you know, it it's really is the big one for us with mm. the Mountain of Moorlands.
4: Yeah, no, it's a fantastic uh, competition. So just tell me a bit about Peanut. You've had the ride on him for, for quite a while and he's quite a seasoned boy, isn't he? Can you just tell me a bit about him, please?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I've ridden for the Scott family for probably over 10 years. Um, obviously, they bred Peanut, and um, Emma started to break him and stuff, and I was introduced to him. And then the first season he actually came out, he was produced by the Follywood Show team, um, and myself and Amy Devane shared the ride on him. Um, this was his sixth trip to London, and he's been best of breed there five times. He's been He was third with Amy the first time he went, And I was reserve champion on him in 2017. Mm -hmm. And he's always been like in the placings and stuff. Obviously, he won at Horse of the Year show in 2019. Mm -hmm. So he'd be one of my... Very, very consistent ponies, I would say. Like, he always comes up with the goods. Mm-hmm.
4: And how was the show for you? Obviously, there was a bit of a bit of drama about the, the cancellation of Liverpool International, which was initially meant to be the venue for the final. How was the XL at London as a venue for you? Did you enjoy riding there? Yeah, what was it like to be in that arena?
1: I mean, historically, Olympia has always been one of my favourite shows. And obviously, if it had moved to Liverpool, it would have been a lot closer to home. Um, But the new venue I thought was fantastic. Yes, you lost a little bit of the history with the Olympia building with the big window Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. golden horses. But honestly, I thought there was a lot of plus points to it in terms of the working in area was better, the ring was larger, Mm. and even like the shopping areas and stuff like that. No, the venue was really, really fantastic. And it didn't change the magic of riding there at all. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens this year after after it's such a success. Um, so, Becky, it's always really interesting to hear, you know, how our how our top riders actually started out in showing and and where they kind of kind of came from. Um, so, can you take us back a little bit and tell us how you got involved in showing and, and maybe how you got um, yeah involved with the native ponies?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of fell into it a little bit. Well, I kind of fell into horses in general. Um, So my mum, who works in fashion, like my family are not horsey at all. Mm -hmm. um, And she used to go for a meeting over in Halifax um, every week. um, And it transpired that the gentleman that owned the factory that she went to owned some show horses and kept them with Janet Ambler. And they took me over to see the horses. And I used to have a couple of lessons with Adam Kemp, the dressage trainer Mm -hmm. there. Um, And then Janet said to my mum, oh, I think you should buy her a pony. (laughs) Um, So they bought me a pony and off I went, really. And (laughs) I spent a lot of time as a child with Bob Templeton riding show ponies. And then in terms of the Mountain of Moorlands, again, sort of by chance, I went to Royal Lancashire Show when I was... About 15 years old, uh-huh. and I've always been a bit of a wheeler dealer, comp you know, <laughs> anything that creates an opportunity. And I'd done my show pony class, and one of the owners had a Dartmoor pony, and I'd said something, I think it had been naughty that day, and she said, Oh, take it. So I said, <laughs> Okay, then. And so I arrived home with a 12 hand Dartmoor pony, he was called Rossway George. <laughs> Um, He would have been my first native pony. And I bought him myself with my pocket money at like 15. (laughs) And um, he basically went on to fund the others. Oh, brilliant. So I think, I mean, it was in the hundreds what I paid for him. Oh, wow. It wasn't a great deal of money. And then, yeah, he was sold and went to buy. He actually bought my next one, my fell stallion, Heskett Willow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember him
4: what a journey do you remember your first first big win or you know maybe first time you qualified for one of those prestigious championships
1: yeah I think the first time I qualified and I'd qualified a show pony and hunter pony for the year show when I did like the platids and stuff like that and when I rode for Bob and then the pony that we had wasn't quite good enough it was a bit of an in between us so it was it did the fourteen twos and the 14 handers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided to sell him. And then probably the first one, the Mountain of Mullen that I qualified would have been George the Dartmoor, mm-hmm. um, who qualified at the Scottish horse show. And then I actually sold him with the ride. Brilliant.
4: So Becky, you, you've obviously had such a phenomenal career and, and so much experience riding all kinds of animals. And I know you're also no stranger to riding these baby ponies and these novices, which is definitely a task in itself. So how would you plan a season for a novice pony? Is there any particular classes you do aim for or events you do like to, you know, have in mind when you, you know, you're set off at the start of the
1: season? Yeah, I mean... I'm very lucky like I get to ride a lot of nice ponies for mm. people and um you know obviously you get the baby ponies that come in over the winter for breaking etc um yes we do have a plan for them but also tend to work it as they go along so you know with a novice things might not always go to plan so those plans might change throughout the course of the season mm. some may be ready to progress a bit further than you thought and others maybe kept help, held back a bit. Now, I'm a great believer in giving a pony a full novice season. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like to see four-year-olds going to Horse of the Year show. I, I don't think it does them any good in the long run. However, there are exceptions, of course, as everything. Um, now, I like, I like to do the Picton final at the NPS Summer Champs. That's probably one of my favourite novice finals. Um, And, you know, the BSPS have a great novice final for the Mountain and Moorlands. Um, Probably, I would say, for the BSPS ones, because of the rules, the novices are allowed to have done a little bit more. So they need to be a bit more established for that. Yeah. It's just a case of, you know, at the moment, we've still got ones that are going to unaffiliated events or clinics for Mm. mileage and just socialising them a bit. Because especially with the stallions, they're not, always that great in company and you've just got to I like them to be over prepared rather than under prepared so you know a little bit what you're dealing with
0: Mm -hmm.
4: and and say um you know you might have a pony who is particularly sharp or you know a little bit nervous and has never been in company how could you know a rider who's maybe a bit more inexperienced ensure that this year really is is a year that the pony comes on and, and grows and matures you know because I think people can be a little bit guilty and I probably I've done it myself of you know getting a bit keen and doing a bit too much too soon so yeah is there any tips and advice for how to bring on those ponies that you know are a bit sharper and need
1: a bit more time yeah, I mean, obviously, we've had ones in the past that need a very different approach to some. You know, not every pony is the same, and everything would benefit from a one-to-one approach, really. Yeah. Um, now, we had one that was quite a sharp novice. You know, we were very careful about shows that we took him to, so we knew what atmosphere he could cope with. Um, I think one of the problems is sometimes you go into a collecting ring and you'll pull one off a box and go straight into a busy collecting ring. And it goes, oh my god. Yeah. Whereas it's probably better to take it for a little hack around the showground, quiet. And then when it's calmed down and it's acclimatized itself, then yeah. take it into the collecting ring. And you know, be clever about it. So go when it's a bit quieter, You know, get there a bit earlier if you mm. need to, to give it that time. And like I say, not put a strict plan into place and let the pony tell you whether it's ready or not. Yeah.
4: Fabulous. And just finally, Becky, just be- just before we let you go, have you got any particularly exciting novices on your faces you can tell us about, or are you keeping them under wraps for now?
1: Um, no, I mean, I've got a Section A stallion, um, a Thistledown one, who, he is super cool. <laughs> um, he's been going to some unaffiliated stuff at the moment and... He's, again, he's a little stallion. And as with all section A's, you know, he's got a little bit of little man syndrome. And he's, <laughs> he's great. Like, he likes to get on with the job. He can do the show, but he just needs a bit more experience in mm. company and stuff like that. But he'd be one that I'm quite excited about. Um, I believe I've got a novice Dartmoor, but I haven't yet seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, But no, the section A is really cool.
4: Oh, fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Becky. And yeah, we can't wait to to hear about your success when you're out and about. And yeah, best of luck for the season. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much.
2: So I'm here today with all three members of our news team. First up, our news editor, Eleanor Jones. How are you, Eleanor?
5: Oh, very good, thank you. It's no longer January; the sun's out, and highly excitingly, when I went out to the fields this morning, you know how it, at the end of winter you you get the pale bits of mud where it's drying up on the top. <laughs> Never have I seen such a thing in February. It's the best dry January and the only dry January I've ever done. I think.
2: Were <laughs> you a little bit tempted to sort of take a picture of the drying mud and put it on I social so media? I really did. <laughs> I know what you're like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, bless you. Well, we know you don't like winter. We're moving on towards summer as quickly as possible. We also have with us our senior news writer, Lucy Elder. How are you doing, Lucy?
0: I'm very well, thank you, Pippa. I, um, like Eleanor, I'm I'm fully embracing spring. Do they call this part full spring, maybe? Spring of deception? I feel feel I'm probably a little bit early in celebrating it, but... um, I've had I've had quite an unhorsey week really, sort of watching the racing and and the mud drying. Um, I've um, I went I've been into the cinema and um, yeah, it's been it's been strange, strangely unhorsey. But um, anyway, how are you, Pippa?
2: Yeah, I actually had uh, kind of a slightly normal person's weekend as well. I did uh, I did ride on Saturday. had a great dressage lesson, which was uh, very pleasing. Alfie is coming on in his flat work. He's had to uh, have uh, our instructor ride him a few times recently to kind of just help bump him the next level and show us what we need to do. And that's been really beneficial, Although I think he thinks it's quite hard work, bless <laughs> him. But uh, yeah, then I was back in London on Saturday night, had dinner with a friend, and then went to a very swanky bar on Sunday, um, met some friends for brunch, went for a bit of a walk, and then we just wandered into this rooftop bar um, wow. where they had a drag brunch going on. So it was super noisy. So we ended up going outside, which was cold, but it had an amazing view across the city. So yeah, not, not so horsey, but it was beautiful, but very Brilliant. nice yeah Uh, and finally we have with us our other senior news writer becky murray how are you doing becky
6: i'm fine i had planned to give chloe her last clip at the weekend but i didn't check the weather forecast and we had not one but two storms in scotland um storm malik on saturday and i had a nice six hour power cut and it came back on and then we had storm cory on sunday So I'm just battling the elements a bit here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, but you've you've had power all the way through, you haven't had any more bad power cuts. No, no. And although it's rather windy today and, you know, when the lights flicker, you do get a bit nervous, but no, so far, so good. But um, no, hopefully I get to clip my horse. Time is ticking on, so.
2: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I do remember at the um, the 2018 World Equestrian Games, actually, when we had um, we had all those big storms and and threats and we all thought we were going to get power cuts the night after cross country. I remember we had all our devices charged (laughs) and and to hand in case everything went down and we needed to keep working. But Yeah, I bet you're wary now. (laughs)
6: Lesson learned. (laughs) Yeah,
2: definitely. Uh, Well, on to the news. Lucy, we are coming to you first. You've been watching the FEI eventing risk management forum this week. And I'm happy that you do that so that I don't have to, because although it's very interesting, it is lengthy. And there's an awful lot that comes out of that meeting, but um, which you can help us to summarize and understand. And one of the main focus points this year, I think, was a new way of assessing horse form across country. Give us a rundown of what this is
0: all about. So this is really cool. Um, what I'm talking about here is the ECU Ratings Horse Form Index, or HFI as you might see it abbreviated to. Um, now this was mentioned at last year's Venting Risk Management Forum, but one year on and it's and now it's here, it's, it's ready to go, it, it's live, and crucially it's available for riders and owners to use, as well as kind of the national federations and officials behind the scenes, but you can get your hands on it, which is to me what's really exciting. So what it does to give a sort of brief overview is it looks at the horse's form and it gives a grade from A double plus to E um, although there's a maximum of I think A plus at four star long and A at five star because of the the small the small sample sizes there but it's on how prepared you are to enter an event and the beauty of this is that it's tailored for each level and I mean, as someone, I mean, I tolerated maths at school is probably the best way to put it, but I'm always fascinated by EquiRating's developments and how they manage to translate like numbers, you know, lists of numbers as we get an eventing into these amazing tools to make the sport safer. So yeah, I'm really excited particularly about this one. Um, Irish eventer and Decorating's co-founder Sam Watson was presenting on it and he also explained how he's been using it himself as part of his planning for a horse he's, he's uh, aiming at badminton this year so when you're not only hearing about taking numbers off the page for a start turning it into this amazing tool and then hearing how someone it, the founder is using it themselves for a horse they're targeting at badminton to me that is yeah that's, that's as exciting as it gets.
2: Yeah, I've heard Sam talking about that as well. And the horse in question, Ballybolger Talisman, is quite a, he, I think in Sam's mind, he's a brilliant cross-country horse, mm. but I think using the rating sort of flagged to him that he's actually quite an inexperienced horse and he might need a little bit more mileage before he goes to Badminton. It was along those lines, wasn't it, Lucy?
0: Yes, you're right. That's, that's exactly
2: it. And my understanding is this isn't something that will actually feed into minimum eligibility results or qualifications, so you won't be stopped from entering an event if your horse is in, say, the the D or E category, but it's a tool for riders and owners to use in their own planning and decision-making. Is that right?
0: Yes, that's it. And the aim here really is to give the rider or owner you know, an additional tool in their kit when making those decisions on event plans with their horse, which, you know, we we all do. You sit down and you sort think yeah, so you know working out what you've done how they're feeling how they're going and what your results are and but what is beautiful about this is again that it's objective, so when our own brains they have their own limits so it's not dismissing that experience and all those other things going on but it's rather it's another piece of that puzzle uh it's giving you a really it gives a really clear assessment, the wording next to each grade is really, really clear, which is something that um, Sam again mentioned as the team was very, very keen to get right is because ultimately that's what makes it useful or not. There's no point giving, you know, a number rating or a letter rating if it means nothing to you. But how that translates is to how prepared you are. That's what is what's really key with this. So it's really about we talk a lot about preventing safety and things but it's helping riders help themselves um in a in a really useful way and sam also raised the point about trainers and how this could also be beneficial to them because again it's objective and so whereas you might be asking your trainer look i want to move up or i want to go to this event am i ready um and for them it gives them another benchmark really about being say being able to say well look here is here is your form here is what it says here's the numbers and the maths and it's not personal but you know it's another tool for them in their toolbox which is um yeah i think it's going to be hopefully really useful
2: going forwards Mm, and I followed the link off your story Lucy to have a look at the information that's available about this on the FEI website as well and you can see the wording there that you were just mentioning where the A++ category is excellent and A++ is very well prepared down to E which is significantly low, unsuitable for this level of competition and I think it's nice the way they've kind of used that word prepared preparation in that guidance, it's not like dressage where it's sort of good, bad and different, it's all about are you prepared for the for the level of competition and I was actually thinking it's something that maybe you know those of us who aren't riding at international level can sort of take those principles and look back at our at our last results and, uh, and have a think about where we are as well. So it's a really interesting one. Lucy before we finish give us one more area of discussion from that risk management forum. I know there have been hundreds and you're going to be writing more about it this week but one more from last week's story.
0: So something else that really caught my attention that I've covered in this week's story was the importance of correct data and how dangerous incorrect data can be and again i think having heard sam talking about the the new horse form index and things it really brings to light why why it's so important to get data right so when we talk about that it's about incorrectly recording um results at the end of the day and everyone you know people are only human Um, but it's things like recording a horse fall as a rider fall or faults being allocated to the wrong competitor for example and so again as we hear more and more about how data is used in making sports safer that really highlights why that has to be correct and again another really important point on this is those results can't be changed after the event so there was a big plea really to those on the ground at events and to national federations as well to kind of check and check again and appreciating that people are tired and again that humans make mistakes at the end of the day but having another layer of checking those final results before those are submitted so that you know the data going off to the fei that then gets fed into making these big decisions about making sports safer and things they know that they can really really rely on that so i thought that was interesting too Mm, Definitely and when we were
2: talking about this in our news meeting and you mentioned that point about the results not being able to change after the event, we were just looking back at um, Blair Castle in 2017 when um, a young rider called Harriet Wright took the CIC three-star as it was then, CCI four-star short class is the equivalent now but uh, when Harriet got home and watched her own video she discovered she'd actually had two show jumps down not the one that was officially recorded and she went back to the organizers and said look I shouldn't have won this class I had two fences down and they were like sorry, it's too late. There's nothing we can do. And so those results stood and it was an unfortunate situation because she didn't want to be credited incorrectly for for winning the class. The person who was second, you know, was was unfairly second as such. And uh, it was a a tricky and unfortunate situation in which I was going to say, nobody was at fault. Somebody was at fault, but obviously nobody meant any harm. And as you say, with risk management, it's really important that the data is correctly recorded as well as making sure the right people win competitions. Well, thank you very much, Lucy. We expect to hear more about eventing safety from you next week. I imagine definitely in the magazine and quite possibly on the podcast. Becky, I'm coming over to you next. You have been looking at a study about measuring horses' happiness. Who has been doing this work? What have they been looking at?
6: This was a research project launched by Advancing Equine Scientific Excellence. And that's a collaborative initiative between industry and research institutes and universities um, that aim to promote excellence in equine research. Now, this work was supported by World Horse Welfare and the Horse Trust and involved students from a number of universities reviewing existing tools and carrying out surveys on how you assess a horse's quality of life. Now, often when quality of life is spoken about, it's usually referred to when making end-of-life decisions or, you know, maybe of older horses. But this this work was highlighting the need to look at it throughout a horse's life and not just considering the negative things such as a horse getting older and starting to lose weight. But actually looking at the positive behaviours horses do as well throughout their lives.
2: Interesting, really interesting. And at a very basic level, what sort of thing might owners look out for
6: to see if their horses are happy? Things like playing in the field for their friends or rolling or, you know, lying down plenty or at certain times of the day. I find this really quite interesting myself and I spoke to the study coordinator, Dr Georgina Crossman, and she said how important it is for owners to have these sort of small benchmarks because it then allows owners to spot when their horse is a bit off that much quicker.
2: And I noticed in your story as well that this isn't the end of the work. There's talk of World Horse Welfare and the Horse Trust taking it forward to a next stage. What are their plans?
6: So this research was gathered with the aim of creating a new tool to assess a horse's quality of life. Um, I spoke with World Horse Welfare and they said the plan is to make something really practical for owners to use. There are some current assessment tools out there, but they're perhaps not so user friendly or more aimed at sort of researchers. And so this work's actually highlighted, there is a bit of a gap between the research and how that actually filters down to owners. We don't know yet what exactly the tool is going to look like, but World Horse Welfare said that now it's about the two charities going away and having discussions with owners and stakeholders to hopefully develop something in the near future. Great. Thank you, Becky. Well, we'll be looking out for that. Eleanor, you've
2: been writing about obesity in horses this week. It's a topic we've looked at a few times, but what specifically has been the focus this time?
5: Well, so this was a really intro- I mean, this is a, a topic uh, we've been covering a lot because equine obesity is sort of widely agreed by experts to be one of the biggest welfare concerns facing horses in this country. But this specifically was a, a webinar run by the Showing Council, and it was really interesting. So we heard from researcher Tamsin Furtado, who we've spoken to before, who's a real expert in this area. Her her PhD was on equine obesity and owner attitudes to it, and uh, one thing that she uh, that was very interesting that she said, apart from the fact that obviously this is a life and death um, situation, is she was saying that in in many Western countries, obesity in animals and in children, sadly, is often seen as funny. So if you Google fat horse, you'll find sort of funny memes. And she believes the fact maybe that we joke about it and some of the language we use, like, oh, he's looking, he's looking cuddly, or he's looking well or been enjoying his grass. Sometimes that actually minimises the severity of a problem that can cause horses death and does.
2: Yeah, and I think you said in your story that she had a bit of a, a tale about an older vet who said they put more horses down
5: due to obesity
2: related problems in the past 10 years than anything else, Was that right?
5: Yeah, and that, that really sets it out, doesn't it? More horses put down because they were too fat than anything else and every single one of those deaths is preventable, that, that's, that's awful.
2: Yeah, it really is. And as well as Tamzin Furtado, the Horse Trust, Jan Rogers was speaking on that webinar as well about that organisation's work in this area. Re- remind us about that.
5: Yeah, so these are the, the Best Condition Awards and what we've reported on, on these before. So uh, it was a, started as a pilot scheme in 2019 and last year ran at the Royal International Horse Show as well. And the idea is that they, it was, it was Dr Furtado and, and Jan Rogers last year, were giving special rosettes to the horses in each class who were of the best condition and and it went really well and they found that a lot of people were almost more happy to win the condition awards uh, than they would have been to one, win the class but that scheme is being rolled out to run at about 40 shows this year which is really really good and, and they said how the aim is to reward positives rather than penalizing negatives and uh, uh, Jam Rogers was talking about that the horse trust is really looking into human behavior change science and so they can sort of make little nudges in uh, of change rather than a revolution. Mm, sounds good, well hopefully
2: you know we can improve that situation with, with obesity in the horse world through that. Thank you Eleanor and thank you to Lucy and Becky for joining us today too. Mm-hmm. So now we're going over to Katie Bleakman an online fitness coach and personal trainer specializing in equestrian athletes. Katie has evented to a high level winning team silver at the eventing pony Europeans, and now riders all over the world can benefit
3: from her online coaching program, event rider fitness over to you, Katie. In this week's episode, we are going to be talking about core training and how you can design your own core sessions. Core strength is one of the biggest areas all riders from any discipline wants to work on. The role of your core is to help you to maintain your posture and support the spine. So especially when we're doing something like riding, which has a lot of impact on the spine, it's really important that we think about our core being as strong and as stable as possible to give our structure as much stability as we can. When it comes to core, you might find that you've got a few areas that you feel weaknesses in. Maybe your lack of core strength is causing you a bit of back pain after going up the gallops or the next day after a hard lesson. You might find that maybe you're tipping forwards through your shoulders and you're not able to really hold yourself up and hold yourself into a deep seat. Things like landings after fences or you'll be in a dressage lesson and after 20 minutes you're going to be really knackered, struggling to hold your posture and you're exhausted after 20 minutes of hard work. And having core weaknesses or a lack of core strength can really, really contribute to poor posture in the saddle, especially things like rounded shoulders and, like I said, the inability to hold a really stable seat. So the solution to this problem is making sure that we're working on improving each area of our core and when we're talking about core most of you will probably automatically think of that beautiful six-pack in a uh, bikini on the beach looking amazing and just because you've got a six-pack that doesn't necessarily mean you have a strong core or your core muscles are as strong and as functional as they could be. So you want to think about the movement patterns so your core is responsible for avoiding your spine going to extension so imagine you're lying on the floor, you need to be, have the ability to keep your ribcage and your lower back in touch with the floor. If your back's arching up, that is your spine going into extension, so we need to train ourselves to have this ability to avoid extension, known as anti-extension, so these would be exercises such as dead bugs, um, RKC planks, so when you're on your elbows and you really tuck your bum under, the best way to describe it is you're holding a posterior plank, so what that looks like is a posterior tilt through your pelvis and it looks like a dog tucking his tail between his legs then you've got anti-rotation so imagine you're on a plank and you're gonna uh, drag a weight underneath you side to side the aim of the exercise is to make sure that you're not rotating through your hip or your trunk again we're resisting we're teaching ourselves to resist rotation you can think of that if you were riding and uh, your horse was to yank you one way you need to be able to have the strength to be able to not get pulled as he pulls you The last movement pattern we want to think about is avoiding lateral flexion. So the best exercise to combat uh, your antilateral flexion strength is a side plank. So you're supporting your whole body weight through one lateral side of your body. And in a side plank, it's really a great way to identify any weaknesses through the hip or the lower body or your obliques, so your side abs. And the best way to think about this is when you're riding is if you collapse into one hip, you would definitely need to be working on improving your antilateral uh, flexion strength. So it's really important that we're thinking about designing our core training around movement patterns and not just thinking about the abdominal movements like crunches or uh, roll-ups that actually just put the spine through a lot of excessive flexion and don't replicate the movement patterns that as riders we need to be working on to have strength in the saddle so really keep thinking about that and think about where your weaknesses are like do you know that you collapse into your hip or to one side Do you know that when your horse uh, maybe yanks at you, you always tip forwards? Do you know that on a landing of a fence, you're maybe always collapsing into the left heel? Think about where your weaknesses are and then you can start to identify that, and again think, okay, I know I need to work on antilateral flexion strength. We'll start in a side plank, start simple, hold a side plank for, say, 30 seconds each side, go for two or three sets, and see, maybe, is one side easier than the other? Do you feel it really working on the side of your hip compared to your shoulder? And from there, you'll be able to identify maybe muscle areas that need strengthening or where weaknesses lie and just like any other muscle your abdominal muscles and core muscles still need resistance to strengthen and stress the muscle so the whole purpose and point of progressive overload that is how we get stronger is that we must be applying an overload in volume or in load so when we're talking about volume or load we're talking about the amount of reps done or the load the weight used and we've got to make sure that we're applying overload over time in order to get a a response from the muscle and cause an adaptation that adaptation would you be becoming stronger through your core so... <laughs> So to begin with, you need to really start from the basics and have that control of your pelvis. Like I was talking about the ability to hold your back to the floor, you need to make sure that you can control uh, your pelvis and your body in these positions. Otherwise, when you start to add dynamic movement in, you're really going to struggle to have that stability and control. And it's important when we're talking about core to think about what your core is. Like I said, a six pack doesn't define a strong core. So think about all of the muscles that attach to your pelvis on the front and the back of your body. So mid thigh, to about just below your chest, that is your core on the front and back of your body. So your glutes count, your lower back muscles, your core muscles, your hip flexors. So it's really important that the exercises you do target all of those muscles. And the whole point is that we are strengthening your core so that you have the ability to resist impact, to resist movement, which is essential whatever your discipline. And it's important to think about your deep core muscles as well, not just the muscles that we can see, like, again, your six pack or your linear alba, the nice line that runs through the front. We really want to be thinking about feeling those deep muscles working, so making sure that you have the ability to be able to control your breath as well when you're doing core work is really important. You want to think about breathing in through your nose and blowing out as if you're exhaling through a straw into your stomach, and if you can effectively brace through breathing and correct breathing then you're actually going to be able to really work your core properly and have control and if you are recently postpartum if you've maybe given birth recently um, getting your breathing connected with your core is really essential to strengthen your core and your pelvic floor muscles so that is really really important and just keep in the back of your mind like I have said before when it comes to training keep it discipline specific so if you're playing polo you need to make sure that you've got good rotational skills so adding in some movements like a wood chop so you could be kneeling or half kneeling a band is on your left hand side you're standing with the band uh, horizontally to you and you're rotating through your torso if again uh, you're doing dressage then you just need to focus on having good stability so maybe a more appropriate exercise here would be doing a dead bug on the floor you could start with a hold really building that isometric strength so when we're talking about isometric we are talking about holding static positions and then in time you can add a bit of dynamic movement but obviously you don't need as many rotational skills as say a polo player and one one thing that it's easy to get caught up on when we're talking about core work is with gimmicks so things like bosu balls the wobbly ball that's um half of it is like an inflatable ball and half of it is flat hard surface you'll see people all the time on instagram or in the gym filming videos standing on one leg doing an upside down plank with a shoulder press on it And at the end of the day, balance boards, BOSUs, things like that, they have their place and they can be great for proprioceptive work. So really getting uh, control of your mind muscle connection and thinking about like foot stability, they can be a great tool for that. But they're not the best way for US riders to work on functional core strength. And for most of you, you honestly probably haven't got enough of a base of core strength to actually be able to be effective enough on these tools to get a really effective response. So you'd be far better spending your time on more productive functional movements rather than getting too caught up in gimmicks, whether that's bosus or bungees, whatever it is. And you know, think about the movement that you do on your horse. As much as you think a BOSU, because it's wobbly, is going to be uh functional and specific to riding. It's not like when you're sat on your horse, he's wobbling side to side like you're on a ship. So just think about that and keeping it specific. And if back pain is an issue for you then core wants to be a focus for you and like I've said replicating those riding movements making sure that you've got really strong back muscles so back muscles that's in all of the muscles on the posterior of your body and equally your front muscles are nice and strong to support your structure and if you're designing your own core sessions then make sure that's around a program that also hits all of your full body compound movements like your squats your deadlifts your upper body push and pull work Um, and if you are particularly weak in one area then have a bit more of a bias towards that area but hopefully that helps you to have a few ideas of how to structure core training and make sure that your core training is as functional and specific to your discipline as it possibly can be I hope you found that episode useful and there are some takeaways that you can use for yourself to keep moving your health and fitness forwards for any more information on any of the topics I've discussed today or any other fitness inquiries you can find me on Facebook if you search event rider fitness add yourself to the private group and you can join our community of riders all working to better themselves
2: Thank you, Katie. Next week, Katie will be back to talk about strengthening your two-point seat. Our interview will be with last year's and five-star winner, Molly Summerland. She talks about the epic trip she made to Germany to achieve that win last year and what life's been like since then. Thank you for joining us on the Horse & Ham podcast today. Please do rate, review, and share the podcast in your app and on social media to help us spread the word. See you next week. Goodbye. The Horse and Ham podcast is a Media Cage production.